Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to fascinating people with great stories, character and intriguing people with unique perspectives that can help comedians like you and me to live the comedy journey on our own terms and make the most success we possibly can. Now, today's guest is an absolute wonder. She is like uh, mac and cheese combined with Popeyes, combined with the best food you could possibly, fast food in America you could possibly imagine. Her name is Laura Lyons. She has many journeys of being clean for two years. She's got journeys of moving from Seattle to Denver, then back to Seattle. She's also a lawyer, so she knows how to kick the comedy law in the dick. You guys are going to absolutely love her. Please welcome Laura Lyons. Yay, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> what did you think of my introduction, Laura? That was awesome. I do have one edit. I'm so sorry. I'm not from Seattle. I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, I, I meant it. Okay, no, yeah. Okay. So sorry. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> uh one edit okay uh but yeah so tell us a bit about your journey and in the summary from wisconsin to comedy how did you get to where you are today absolutely uh so i moved out of my house when i was 18 still in high school kind of uh i wasn't really going at that point uh and i decided to move to iowa for college because working minimum wage and 90 hours a week wasn't cutting it for me and when I was in college, I really wanted to make friends. So I decided to try a stand-up comedy in my pursuit to find friendship. And I was 18, like the only one, uh, one of the only women in the scene, but I fell in love with it immediately. Uh, after I got kicked out of the Iowa comedy scene, I took a year off to focus on sobriety. And I ended up moving to Denver uh, for a year and a half, mostly for the pursuit of comedy, but also because I got kicked out of my boyfriend's house in Iowa. And it was really easy to like hop on the highway and just go. Uh, and so I did that. And then I went to law school in Seattle because that is a scene that had a very strong comedy scene. And it was important for me to go to law school in a city with a strong comedy scene. So now I'm here in Seattle and doing comedy and also pursuing law. Hmm. Now, um, oh my, so like, I have to ask this question. <laughs> now, how did it, how do you define in terms of got kicked out? Did you get a bunch of security guards or bouncers and say like, Laura Lyons, man, like, yo, you, you dog, you're, you're doing too much shit. Yeah. Like go. Well, for sure, there were a lot of people making fun of me in Iowa because it's not like, and it was like laughing at me, not laughing at my jokes. It was my person. Um, I, it's just not funny to see someone constantly drunk and high on stage, like falling asleep. It's just not funny. Uh, oh. Unless you're like laughing at the person, but not the person's jokes. Um but on Facebook, I got in this big fight. I opened for this woman and people had an issue with that. 
but instead of me taking the high road, I just fed into it. And eventually I may have the words, I hope everyone in the Iowa comedy scene gets into one room and that building burns down may have come out of my mouth. Um, so yeah, it was pretty dramatic. I got kicked off of an improv troupe called The Blacklist. Oh, okay. Yep, not easy to do. Well, they are literally called The Blacklist and then they blacklisted me. So it was pretty dramatic and terrible. Well, remind me not to mess with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm better now. I, I have coping skills so that I don't tell people to go die when I'm upset. No, it's, it's screw people, isn't it? But anyway, so you... Yeah, you, for sure. Now you moved on to like the Denver comedy scene and like, tell us a bit about your story there and like, how how does Denver compare with, um, what's it called, the Seattle scene? Because I spoke to Dante Barnett, do you know him? Yeah, I have stories. Okay, go ahead, sorry. Oh God. <laughs> I just want to be up an audience member once. That's my issue with him. So Woo! <laughs> there, there, okay. <laughs> I don't mean to jump around so much, but there was a night. Okay, so one thing that's super common in comedy is that these violent people uh, just are allowed to remain in these spaces. And so it's like really hard to get kicked out of the comedy scene because we're all a little bit degenerate and uh, we all have some social issues and stuff like that. However, this specific person literally uh, got into a physical altercation with an audience member, ended up choking him and bringing him to the ground, uh, like a very, very physical. It wasn't just like a push or anything. It was like, yeah. Whoa, that, that's brutal. Ooh. Yeah, actually, in, in the comedy store gong show, I mean, you're coming over, I think, in a couple of weeks or next week. I think you messaged me. There's Yeah, I'll be there uh, pretty soon. Yeah, it'd be a nice little gig. You'll test some stuff out, and I think giving you a list of a few gigs you go to. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. It'd be fun. There's... Okay, yeah, I did. That's there are there are a lot of mad cats in comedy. Though I mean, if you go to the comedy store Gong Show, if you're there long enough, uh, I think it's on the either yeah last Monday of the month. You go there. There's a lot of mad people there, so you you have a bit of it's a lot of craziness that happens there. Cool. I mean, I do definitely think that's something that makes just comedy scenes in general endearing is the cast of characters you find. Hmm. That is true. Yes, there's a lot of legends you get in the comedy scene as well, like that go for 10 or 20 years. I'm pretty sure you've had that in Seattle and Denver. You've got characters that go for 20, 30 years, something like that, and they're, they're well known. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Now, <laughs> what's what's the style of uh, com? What have you noticed in terms of like the Denver comedy scene as opposed to the... Um, this yeah. Uh hmm. Denver is probably funnier. You can get away with more on a stage in Denver than you can in Seattle. Um, and I do think that promotes 
just like a, a funnier environment and lots of different kinds of comedy. Whereas in Seattle, there's this really strong cancel cu culture. Um, and so even if someone is really funny, uh, they could be banned from a room or face criticism because their joke stepped over a line. Um, and I know starting out, like I would have been banned so quick in Seattle comedy if I'd started here because my jokes weren't super good. They were really edgy. Like they were racist, sexist, homophobic, the, the whole gambit. Um, and you'll get banned for that here in Seattle. Like you just, yeah, you won't be allowed to perform. Would I be and able that's to- that's not the case in Denver, yeah. Oh. So, but if I went around like, um, what's it called, making jokes about being half Asian, would that be okay? Because I'm Asian, it's, and it's also not in a doggy way. So, I, if I say like making fun of cultural troops, would that be okay? Uh, unless you are a part of that demographic, no. Uh, so, if you say you're half Asian, uh, you could probably say those jokes without getting banned. However, I doubt people will laugh unless it's like, I don't know. It just because like, not to say you're not funny. It's just because you are uh, white appearing. I think it would be hard for those jokes to land here because they wouldn't think it's appropriate to laugh. Oh, I look white, bloody hell. That's the first time. I, 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 it's... Is that, oh my gosh, maybe it's just the camera. And I also yeah. don't want to take away from your identity um, at all. See, look, I'm a very Seattle person. I'm like, I'm trying to be woke and yeah, it's, gets it away of a lot. So, I mean, uh, what's it called? So if I say I'm half Asian and I'm half English, which means that I have terrible teeth, but I work hard to brush them. <laughs> I love that. I, I mean, know. that would probably, yeah, that's probably good. That, that would probably be okay. All right, but my that's breath still joke. smells. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'll, I'll include that. I just came up with that now. <laughs> uh, okay, that's an interesting thing. And how does the sort of the Seattle scene kind of operate in terms of like, how does one progress and how do they, what's, what's unique about it in terms of the way it's structured and in terms of progressing to the, through the ranks? Sure. Um, in Seattle, there's a very large and very funny uh, community of comedians that do not identify as straight white men. Uh, and so it's easier to find and to book those types of comedians. So whether they identify as trans or as a woman, um, you can find more stage time. Uh, and I do think there are more opportunities here to advance in a scene uh, without being like the token woman on the show. Uh, so that's super nice. Whereas in Denver and in Iowa, I felt like you would have a woman on the show because you needed one, uh, as opposed to because they were objectively the funniest person to book in that situation. Hmm. That's, yeah. In some ways, when that happens, and probably some people will kill me for this, but isn't that sort of, aren't you being patronizing to that demographic when you're doing that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I agree 
with that. I also have noticed in, in Seattle that there's a, a focus on prioritizing those groups of people. Um, but because it's done in a way where it is more, it doesn't feel as patronizing when it's done in Seattle because you are actually booking funny people. That sounds bad. I'm going to get so much shit for saying that because it infers that in these other scenes, they're not booking funny people. And I guess the truth is like, it doesn't matter. Like those producers don't care if they're booking a funny person. They're just happy they have a woman on the show. Um, hmm. Whereas here they are funny. Yeah. In some of them, in some of the ones you've seen or been a part of. To, that's yeah. what you notice. And to say it, you saw it from from what little you saw maybe it's changed maybe um but from what you saw from that particular yeah now and if but is there any um so you mentioned that it's quite you have to be very cautious about what you do in the seattle scene yes and how does it work in terms of is it really just the same as every other comedy scene like you do a lot of gigs in the city you be you go to Vogue comedy shows if people like you they book you or go here you can go yeah. seven up times a week uh, yeah absolutely the, the more you're getting up uh the higher your chances are of getting booked uh they reward the whole grind culture um the other thing, okay, wait, sorry, before we move on, I do want to say if you're you're a woman being booked or like if you're being booked because you're a woman, take the stage time because fuck them. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I did want to throw that in there. I 100% believe always take the stage time because that's the only way we advance through this profession is by like taking all those gigs for people to start booking us because we are funny, not just because we're women. Apart from the last thing you said about fucking don't <laughs> <laughs> let me be a hypocrite on your podcast okay <laughs> no hey say what you want i i, I like getting in uh, people from different points of view um and just yeah as long as the only type of person that i wouldn't like to have on the podcast is someone who doesn't say anything who is too polite and doesn't have a, have any sort of opinion yeah that's good that's a good rule it's and apart from that, you say what you want. I'll even I'll, I'll, oh, and of, of course, if you're a racist or anything like that, then probably not. <laughs> oh, probably not good to broadcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what um, what's what what are the main clubs that people tend to try and get into in Seattle? Uh, so laughs. Tacoma Comedy Club, which is Tacoma, not Seattle. Uh, and then we used to have this awesome comedy club called the Comedy Underground, but it didn't survive the pandemic, unfortunately. So, yep, we're down to basically those two. So the Lost Comedy Club, do you say? Underground Comedy was my favorite comedy club in the country. That, that I've been to so far and that I've performed at. Hmm. Um, it was this really cool room, like literally underground. And it was just like in this old building, it was perfect comedy setup, like 
low ceiling, dark, like you could fit a bunch of people close together. But yeah, it just didn't survive the pandemic. What, what, so, I mean, a common truth that I've had in the podcast is they talk about terrible gigs they've done and like what comics do wrong. But what, one thing I'm interested to hear from you, because in America, I've, I've not had many sort of comedy promoters apart from maybe Sean Eli who runs theatre shows, but I've had quite a few comedy promoters from the UK that run great gigs and what they see to be bad or good in gigs. But in terms of the way you talk about underground comedy clubs, a bit like how someone talks to a lover, and like what what is it that made underground comedy so brilliant and that that made you love it so much that made it stand out and be like this is fantastic that other clubs don't have? Yeah, I mean the the amount of people that showed up even on open mic night was incredible and I'm not just talking about the the audience members I also mean like there was a huge showing of comedians and that was always good to see they had a really good system uh Robert Pitty was the local comedian uh who's in charge of running the underground and he he would it was show up side up they would make sure that if you were bumped three times you would for sure go on the next week um and so it was worth going and it rewarded that grind culture like that consistency um and showing up and making an effort to get on the list and like i don't know that i i've always thought that was a good way to run a show and then yeah the low ceiling the lights uh there was a cool cool stage like it had a picture of a train in the background it was just it was a stop on the underground ghost tour as well so that brought more people in uh and it was just kind of that cool piece of history um yeah i guess it just checked all the boxes for me it was just a great place hmm. and what do you what do you feel that really puts you off of other gigs that a lot of them do wrong is it just that they book anyone that they're mates and they don't bother about the audience and it's just Mad, bad shit promoters doing all sorts of crazy things. <laughs> yeah, it's not. So I've performed at some other kick-ass venues like uh, Comedy Works in Denver is one of the coolest venues in the country also. Um, but yeah, I do think what set Comedy Underground apart was the way uh, Robert ran it. Uh, and so not only was it a great space to perform, it was a great environment to perform in also. Uh, um, yeah. That's definitely something that misses a lot in a lot of comedy gigs. You hear about in like it's a great show, but there's all sorts of stuff going on in the green rooms you hear, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Robert was just so good about um, making sure people were treated fairly, making sure he was giving people the light at the right time and getting people off stage so the show kept going, especially at an open mic, that really matters. Um, and he, he was approachable and also made sure that it was like a safe space. I hate to use that word, but he would listen to you if someone like came forward and said, hey, this guy is not, uh, a safe person to be around. I'm not sure if he should, 
you know, be here tonight or if there's anything that we can do about it, like put him up later. And he was really receptive to that. And I find a lot of people aren't. Um, and that matters. And I do think that was one of the reasons why so many comedians wanted to go to that show. Like it wasn't just great stage time. It was a cool place to be. Hmm. And that's now what um, what do you consider? So with a lawyer and you've got a like unique background. So you said you're from Wisconsin. So is that right? Again, how yeah, Wisconsin. does that... How does that, sh what, what, what's that place like, Wisconsin? And how does Oh my that... God, fuck that place, dude. Like, and for the record, fuck Iowa. Uh, like, Whoa. The Midwest is a nightmare, dude. Like women are literally second class citizens and you don't realize it when you're living there. You, you think that it's normal for dudes to talk over you and for like people to, to just dismiss everything you say because you're a woman. Uh, or to treat you like very patronizingly. I truly believed my life would be over when I hit 30 while I was living in the Midwest because that was like the narrative. Like you were married with kids, like two kids by the time you were 30 and had a house and a husband who works at the fucking plant or whatever. And it's just, luckily I moved out of there and I found out that one, I'm not crazy because I was like the weirdest person in every single room in the Midwest uh and out here I'm like just another person it's great so ah so you feel that even though the place where you're born was where you're born it's just not where you belong you feel that you fit better in other cities yes yeah oh, that's a really good way of saying it that was a very much that was nicer than saying fuck these places uh yeah and, and they are keen to um, NWA's F the police sort of thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, because we were we were talking about this before the podcast. So when the comedy scene died in Seattle uh, during COVID, uh, everything was shut down, but the protests were going on. And so I started going to the protests. Uh, and yeah, just experiencing that is like, the thing that radicalized me, I suppose. Although I don't think it's that radical to say stop killing people. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, you, you should, but yeah, everyone deserves life, I suppose. Yeah, everyone deserves life. <laughs> yeah, like I know. Um, I know my boyfriend is from England and so he's talked about the police over there and I guess there's a joke where it's like the police will tell you stop or also say stop again because they're not uh, into unnecessary force or killing people. They're nicer here than they are in America from what I mean I only went to America for three months and I didn't truly understand it but I, I went there as a tour so I didn't really know what it was like. Where did you go? So I went to New York, Chicago, and LA. I love that. That that's cool. You hit some of the best parts for sure. Yeah, but oh shit then. <laughs> no, that's all right. Like that's part of it. Like, yeah, Chicago comedy is very men heavy as well. Like there's a lot of dudes, and that's I guess there's a lot of dudes in every comedy scene, but 
there have definitely been times that I performed in Chicago and I was the only uh, non-dude in the room. You, so you're coming to London sort of, I think, soon and you'll find that there'll probably in a bill of maybe 10 or 12 acts there'll be maybe two or three female comics i think yeah that's so frustrating well okay so i i should say i'm not frustrated like you know you you have the people you have in your scene but in seattle we have so many people like funny funny women or people who don't identify as men and it's or straight cis men uh it's just so infuriating because it's like an opportunity we have here um to have these shows that are so dynamic and that have so many different types of people and so many different types of styles and yeah not a lot of scenes even have that opportunity like when I was in Iowa I was one of two women who performed and it just feels like a missed opportunity I guess yeah but it's building. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, no, things are definitely getting better. better. Um, yeah, that's, I think maybe things will change to the point, maybe 20, 30 years down the line. It might even be, I think comedy will definitely have more males than women in it. I think that's, that's always going to be the case, but I think you could get it maybe to 35 or 40%. Yeah, that'd be nice. But I don't think it'll, now you've you've now one of the things that's quite interesting about you is you're a lawyer so what guys this might be my last podcast so whatever i say will be taken to court no no absolutely not i wouldn't but mostly because i failed the bar twice so i'm not technically an attorney i can't practice or anything except for one tribe I passed the bar for one tribe so I can represent 200 people. What's what's the bar? Explain. I've seen suits. That's all I know about lawyers. Suits. He They made it cool, though, with Harvey Specter and what's it called? Mike Ross, like Harvey Specter, always knowing the lines and always doing this. And then you at home like, oh, I wish I was that guy. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, OK, so the law you go to law school so you after undergrad you go to law school and law school's three years after that you don't get to be a lawyer you have to prove to whatever state you're in that you are of good character and fitness uh so they hire a private investigator and they call everyone you've ever lived with everyone you've ever worked for and they make sure you've never like acted out or done anything crazy. And if you have, you have to tell them up front about it. Otherwise, it's an issue of candor and you won't pass. And so this is before you even take the final test to be a lawyer. Uh, you have to go through this rigorous like grilling. Um, and so because I had a drug problem, I've been kicked out of so many houses and I've been fired from so many jobs. I had to disclose all this shit. And then finally, after an arbitrary group of people says, hey, you're a good enough person to take this exam, you take the bar exam. And the bar exam is the test from hell. People study for like months, eight hour days, and I've failed it twice now. Uh, and so basically they were telling me that you're a good enough person to fail this exam. Uh, so I'm still not a lawyer yet. So not close. Yet. Okay. But how, 
okay, but you've moved into <laughs> Seattle now, and like you, yeah, it's different. And when when's the next exam? <laughs> uh, February. But there there are things that you can do in it, even though you're not quite passing the 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 club yet. Uh yeah, I can work at a law firm, just not as an attorney. So that's what I'm doing right now. Okay, but if, and what's what's that like? Uh, how how is the environment? Is very competitive. It's very boom boom boom. Reading a lot of papers and being like Harvey Specter and stylish and fake mock trials and yeah i mean i love the law i think it's fun to fight people uh and my boss is really great too so i just work at a really small firm and so it's just me and him and yeah it's just it's been good we take on a lot of like criminal cases uh which is what i love to do ah and what is it about so i mean is that also why you got into comedy because you because because the mind is very criminalistic <laughs> in some <Yeah>. respects <laughs> um no i i'm not kidding when i say i got into comedy because i wanted friends like i moved to iowa like i was 18 i just got out of like high school and i didn't know anybody and on the second day there i met this guy who was like a, a big deal in the comedy scene and he was like come to this open mic and I did, and I fell in love with it. Um, so I watched open mic comedy for a year before I actually went up myself. Uh, but it was a place to put myself and I wasn't alone and I was trying to be social and I could drink. Uh, they didn't card me. Um, so that was really nice. Mm. I felt like a cool edgy comedian even before I was performing. Who would who are comics that you really admire? And this is not just unlike that you gig with, not just unlike the joke writing are good there. But I think one of the things I think most important is in terms of creativity and distinctiveness. Mike uh, Birbiglia is my favorite comedian. Mike and Mike Birbiglia because he is such a good storyteller. Uh, he is a cleaner comedian, but he's not clean. He very intentionally places uh, swear words or anything that could like be crossing the line. Um, and I just really admire that about him. Like when you talk about writing and creativity, like I think he checks all the boxes and he's someone who I aspire to be like, even though my comedy is very different from his. Um, but when it comes to like people in the local Seattle scene, uh, Aaron Engel is probably the f one of the funnier people. Uh, Bo Johnson, if you're interested in looking up local people, but yeah. And a common thing that you often hear in comedy, like they say the big hero was, um, what's his face? George Carlin or Louis C.K. and they give advice like gig as much as you can. But I yeah. mean, that's quite generic and that's quite sort of standard because I see sometimes with people that I think you, you've got to do what's unique for you. And that doesn't sometimes you need to spend more time doing other things rather than just gigging on stage. And then you've got to take no. a break. But then other Absolutely. times. 
what's what's the big best um unique piece of advice you've received in comedy that's helped you uh the advice that i gave earlier if you're given stage time take it um and i mean that coming from the perspective of a woman who has been booked because i'm a woman not because i'm funny um at least you know like now i'm booked because i'm funny or maybe a little bit of both uh but especially those first couple years i was doing it that's the only gigs i got but take them take them until you are actually funny uh yeah and so you're saying you'll never be ready for it and you'll never be at level but just sort of not fake it till you make it but like take the opportunity and eventually because yeah. you're given that opportunity you will get to that level because you make some better comics yeah and i mean it's fucking bullshit that people are so i don't know uh patronizing but whatever like take something good from it like in stage time is pretty good <laughs> like now because you've done law and you've got this unique background what how has working law or southern law shaped your comedy in a way what bro what oh my god okay so i tried to become part of this like prestigious club at law school and you had to put in like what makes you awesome and so i tried to put in that comedy made me awesome and that i was good at persuasive arguing because uh i can win a room back so for example if they don't like hearing uh every room is an escape room uh when you live with an abusive boyfriend i can bring the crowd back in by saying i have a tongue ring not because i like giving head but because i wanted my mom to think i like giving head and i put that in my application and they called me down to the office in law school to tell me i was inappropriate and that i cannot uh make those jokes in law school another time i had a guy Law school's very competitive, like stabbing in the back and stuff. Uh, this one guy was out to get me. And one thing he did, he showed the Dean of Students my comedy videos and tried to get me kicked out because of the comedy I was saying. And so that's all to say that law school definitely scared me uh, about well, like what kind of content I'm putting out there uh and what people can find about me but i don't want to stop doing comedy so I, at some point i just was like if you don't want to hire me because of my jokes that's fine i'm still gonna do it hmm. yeah, that's you mean yeah you're gonna be yourself no matter what if it's funny i'm gonna say it on stage that's what i mean like if you think it's offensive and you want to like tattle on me or whatever fine or if you don't want to be my boss because of it or my coworker because of it fine and is there anything in terms of the way it operates that shapes your comedy like sometimes people like Nigel Un 
who plays Uncle Roger, he was a data scientist. And like what he does when he was growing his social media following, what the basic principle from that is you test different things out, you analyze the data. If it works, keep it. If it doesn't, throw it away and try something else. Right. That was his approach to building a social media audience. From law, what would you say is a key thing of that that shaped how you operate in life and in comedy? Oh, I see. Uh, okay. I'm definitely a stronger writer because of law. Um, and I can work those long hours so I can dedicate a lot of time to sitting down writing jokes and rewriting and rewriting. Um, so I guess perseverance would be one of the things I take from law. Also competing in a very uh, male dominated fields. Uh, it's prepared me for that. Hmm. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Okay. You, you gave the answer. That's your perspective on what you got from it. So that's okay. And who, what has been the biggest, what have been the craziest things that you've seen that have happened in comedy during your comedy journey? Uh, besides me getting kicked out of the Iowa comedy scene. Uh, what what have you that... seen? I'm sorry. Well, I, so I was just adding on that. I was just saying, like, from what you've seen other people do, rather than you. Yeah, uh, comedians are goddamn crazy people. Uh, so we talked about uh, someone else you've had on this show before. I saw him uh, just fucking open mic, and he like attacked an audience member um, during the open mic, and that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life so you saw it live like from the beginning to the end oh yeah like what oh. happened was <laughs> this d dude was on stage and he said something a little bit racist or whatever uh and then this girl heckled him but instead of just letting the comedian on stage handle it this other guy Dante went up to the couple and he didn't even like talked to the girl who had heckled he talked to her boyfriend put his hand on him the boyfriend swung his arm like hit him in the head with a bottle and Dante grabbed his neck and took him to the ground and would not let go and so I said Dante stop choking him Dante said he hit me with a bottle and I said that doesn't mean you get to kill him and after that only after that was when he let the guy go. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. But he caused the situation by confronting the guy, putting his hand on him. Like, it was. The boyfriend didn't do anything. The boyfriend wasn't heckling. His girlfriend heckled. Like, and even if he had been heckling, that's the comedian's job to control the room. So I don't know what he was doing. I except you know wanted to get in a fight he went in two he went in from zero to a hundred 
Well, Absolutely, it? yeah. Uh, and what was the uh, aftermath of that? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think of other crazy things. Uh, I've never seen a penis on stage, so that's good. Uh, I have seen people like doing comedy in a way that's more interesting, like magic and comedy. That was one of uh, the strangest things I saw as well. Um, just like when it comes to like what's on stage. Okay, that, that's cool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, good. Well, that's what you're going to see next week <laughs> for me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, but what would you say? What what keeps you going with comedy? What has comedy given you that you really love about it? That makes you just the feeling of making people laugh. Is that the main thing that like when you're up in there, you're talking to the audience and you're like, I did that. It is a high unlike any other. Yeah. Making a, a room of people laugh. And I, I, I love that. I love bringing joy to others. Um, and I, and I like feeling that validation as well. Like one of the things, like one of the reasons I wanted to come off drugs so bad was because I wanted to keep pursuing comedy um and it was really getting in the way of that um i thought for a really long time i had to be drinking and drugging to do comedy because that's what i saw from other people um but that's just not the case and so instead of getting high now off drugs i'm getting high from making people laugh and it's a it's a way better high uh not that like bombing when you're sober is also the worst experience ever uh, <laughs> i gotta say but crushing when you're sober is is worth it like i'd rather i'd rather bomb sometimes and also experience that full joy of making people happy and laugh and knowing i did that is such a fucking rush and what do you enjoy most about the so for, for for someone's listening now and they're saying Laura and they ask you the question, what should I do comedy? What would you say to them? Like, God damn it. Yes, do comedy. Everyone should try comedy. But what I hate is when I do so poorly, I give someone the confidence to do comedy. You know what I mean? Like if I, like I never, especially in those early years, I never want to do that again. I never want to bomb so horribly where someone in the audience is like, yeah, I could do that. I could do that and I could be better. <laughs> okay. No, it's been, well, we've reached the end of the podcast. One thing I want to say to you is uh, how do people find out about you? And what would you like to plug? Um, well, I will be in England doing some shows. Uh, so if you're in England, look on my Twitter and you will see me posts about it. And my Twitter is comedian L and then Lions, my last name with a Y. Uh, and that's probably the best place. And then Instagram, which is laura.lions.e because I made it like my school email because I didn't really understand how Instagram worked when I first made an Instagram. So yeah, 
All right, so guys, you know where they go. Um, also, make sure you guys, if you like this episode, share it with your friends. Give us a review on Amazon or iTunes. Um, just if you didn't like it, let me know why so I can make it better. But tr try not to give it too low. <laughs> but uh, if you like it, fantastic. Uh, and most importantly, though, I want you guys to subscribe, join the journey. Uh, and I'll see you guys at the next episode. Thank you.